0: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning here and also online. And I want to personally thank all of you and all of you online. Uh, I want to thank you for persevering with us through this crazy time we've been experiencing with uh, the pandemic and how everything's changed for us and how we do church and all, but thank you for your faithfulness in seeking out fellowship, even though it's harder. Thank you for continuing to support the church, both personally, financially, and in other ways. I, d- I just thank you for persevering through this time. In the classic children's stories, the Narnia tales, in the very first one, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, everything's frozen. As they say, it's always winter and never Christmas. And that's all they have to live by, and that's all that people know. But then Mr. Beaver tells the children at one point that things are starting to change. Something's happening. Mr. Beaver says, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps has already landed. And suddenly everything begins to change. The snow begins to melt because when Aslan shows up, everything's disrupted and life begins to burst through the patches where the snow has melted away and flowers start to bloom and grow. And some are excited and they're rejoicing that Aslan is on the move. Things have changed. But others have a hard time with it. The white witch and her cronies do not like this and their slaves don't work. And I'm sure there were some that were feeling like, I don't like change. You know, I was used to the snow. I mean, what do we do with all our snow clothes now and all of those things? You see, sometimes we welcome change, but sometimes it's hard and some resist the changes. As we know, God is always at work, right? He is king. He is Lord. He's always moving. He's always working. But throughout Scripture and throughout life, there are times when God seems to move in some dramatic new ways. When God, like Aslan, begins to move in a new way, like when he called Abraham out of Haran, Abraham was there and and suddenly he's called to go to a totally new place and to follow God into the unknown. You think about Israel being slaves in Egypt, and they're there, and they've been there 400 years. Suddenly Moses shows up, and there's these 10 plagues, and yeah, the people, you know, have been slaves, but at least they've had a house to live in, and all of a sudden they've got to go live in the wilderness for 40 years, living in tents, and life is disrupted for them. The Babylonian captivity, they had to leave their homeland and be taken to captivity. And think about the coming of Jesus, how God himself shows up on earth, and yet most people didn't understand, they didn't get it, that God was moving in the most important movement ever in history. But one of the things I've observed about different movements of God is that when God begins to move, at least three things happen most of the time. Number one, life is disrupted. God brings a divine interruption to the status quo, and things just are out of sync. They're different. Secondly, you feel out of place. Life has changed, and and the old things that I was used to are different now, and it's disrupting. It's hard, and I, I feel out of place. I'm not sure how to respond. And third, you don't know what's coming in the future. You sense things are changing, but you don't really know what's ahead, and that feels pretty insecure. Life is not as it was, but it is not yet as it will be. Life is not as it was, but it is not yet as it will be. And I I think these things are true of most of us today. The things that have gone on in our world Certainly in the last nine months with the pandemic, but also political upheaval and moral decay that's happened especially intensely over the last 10 to 20 years, political chaos, etc. We're all disrupted. And not just now, but, you know, over the last few years, it seems like. But what we need to see is that God is on the move. The disruption is part of God's plan. None of it is a surprise to Him. He's shaking our world. Yes, it's hard and disruptive and confusing, but that's okay. That's part of God's plan. The question is when God is on the move and He's shaking our world like He is now, the real question is how will we respond? How are we responding? to what he's doing when he unsettles us like he has been. Our passage today will help us think this through. It'll give us several examples of how we can respond and hopefully help us respond in a way so we can cooperate with what God is doing as he shakes our world. So let's pray and we'll look at this passage together. Lord, thank you that you are king over all, that you are Lord and you are, are showing up right now in our worlds in a way where you are on the move and you're disrupting our normal patterns of living. Thank you that it's part of your plan, but, Lord, it's hard for us, and it's hard to know how to respond. And help us, Lord, through this passage, through your word, through the power of your spirit, to gain a new perspective on how we can respond To all that's going in as you shake our world, since you are on the move, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 13, which Rob just read, we see Elisha showing up to take Elijah's place. Now remember Elijah, okay, I I know it's confusing, Elijah and Elisha sound alike, but Elijah means Yahweh is God. Elisha means God is Savior, just like Joshua does, just like Jesus does. Elisha means God is Savior. But Elijah has been God's spokesman. He's been the prophet of God, and he's done amazing things. He defeated the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He's been God's chosen instrument to speak to the people and to the kings. But now he's gone. Earlier in this chapter, he's taken up into heaven by God in a whirlwind, in a chariot of fire. And now what? Now what is God going to do? Who will speak for God? Who will bring God's word to the people and stand against the forces of evil? Well, in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter, Elijah crosses... The Jordan River, he folds his mantle, he strikes the river, and he walks across on dry land. But in 13 through 15, we see now Elisha takes up that mantle and does similarly. Let me read it again. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over. And the sons of the prophets were watching. They saw him, and they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Elijah had crossed the Jordan River in power, and now Elisha takes up the mantle of Elijah and crosses the river as well. He does the same. And the prophets recognize it. Wow. He now has been the anointed one. He is now here to take Elijah's place. God is working in a new way. God is moving now through Elisha rather than Elijah. He has a clear anointing from God. Again, God is always at work, but sometimes he is especially on the move and moving in a new direction on a a little different track he takes us. But are we watching for it? Are we like the prophets watching and waiting for God to move as he begins to disrupt things? Are we looking for God to do something good to work out his plan through our lives right now as it's so disrupted through this current pandemic? Do we see God's hand at work through it all? I'm struck as I think about this Christmas season and Mary in particular. Think about her life, this poor 13 to 14-year-old girl living in a little village of Nazareth and and, uh, an angel shows up and says, you will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit which will overcome you. And Can you imagine how disruptive that was to her life? Knowing that having a baby out of wedlock in that way would mean shame, the shame of the community for many, many years to come. But I love her response. How did she respond? May it be to me, as you have said. Lord, I don't know what's all happening here. i This is disruptive. It's scary. I don't know what's coming in the future. I don't know all that this means, but... But I'm here. Let it be to me, as you have said, I, I'm on board, Lord. <laughs> so the question is can we say that as God is moving today through the craziness of our pandemic and this world? Well, the rest of the passage, I think, gives us four responses that help highlight different ways that it's common for us to respond when God is disrupting our worlds like he is now. The first one we see in verse 16, and that is the old way is better. (laughs) The old way is better. Now, notice verse 16. Uh, The prophets, remember, had just said, Wow, it's obvious that you're the anointed one, Elisha. You've taken Elijah's place. But then they say in verse 16, "Uh, Behold now, there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master, Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, no, don't don't send him. Why would they ask for that when they've just seen God so clearly anoint Elisha? Well, there seems to be this attitude of, Elisha, you know, God's on you. That's great. But we really liked Elijah. (laughs) I mean... He was so powerful, and he did all those great things. And, you know, we're not really, really ready for change. we kind of like the old way of doing things. You know, he did all those great things, defeated the prophets, etc. And, and you, you know, you're young. We haven't seen you really do anything. Yeah, you crossed the Jordan, but, but we just aren't sure about you. So can we go look for Elijah? You know, there's little details. You didn't, you didn't cross the river quite like Elijah did. He folded his mantle and struck the water. You didn't fold it. You know, you're kind of messing with things here. And besides, Elijah no, is known as a hairy man. And as we see later in the passage, Elisha's bald. You know, can he really be used of God? <laughs> you notice the typical response, I think, that we often have when life is disrupted. It's like, we want to get back to the normal. We want to go back to the way life was. We start often like they are nitpicking to dismiss what's happening and and you know, yeah, this isn't quite right and you know, you're not doing this right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we miss the fact that God is on the move. In the book of Acts, the early church, you see this happening, you know, The gospel is coming, Peter preaches, thousands come to Christ, but they're all Jewish Christians, right? And then God begins to move to bring Gentiles into the early church to really show that the gospel is for everyone. God is on the move in some wonderful, dramatic ways, but the early church really struggled with that. You know, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, this can't be right. I mean, you know... I mean, God worked through the Jews, and now he's working through Jewish Christians, right? I mean, don't mess with that. Many were resistant. They felt like they had to become Jews first before they could become Christians. And think about how people responded to Jesus when he showed up. Here's the God of the universe showing up, but because of all their preconceptions of how they thought the Messiah should be, what he should be like, and how he should show up and be a king who rules and throws out the Romans, and instead he came as a humble king who came to die and give up his life and establish a hidden spiritual kingdom instead of this political overt kingdom. And they didn't recognize him. They missed the fact that God was on the move. You see, I think that's a good question for us. Are we open to what God is doing when he's doing something new with us? I I feel like he may be doing something new with Cole Community Church. You know, I don't know what that means. I don't know what kind of changes that means. But I feel like we should listen and be open to that. Or do we hang on to the past? It's true. Our our normal church forms and our structures for all of us have been shaken up, right? Bible studies, growth groups, we're going on, but it's through Zoom most of the time. And that's hard. And we can't do fellowship the same way. And Sunday morning, it's good that we can be together. But... We don't get to hug and sit next to each other and we wear masks and all of that. And it's been disruptive. But are we, are we trying to hold on to the past and say, I can't wait till business gets back to the way it was? Or are we seeking God and saying, God, what are you doing here that might be new? And how can we hear from that? Uh, the, and how can we listen? Are you moving us into new forms and new ways? I don't know what God's doing personally, but... The elders, your elders are seeking the Lord on this. Lord, what are you calling us to? What are we going to be a year from now? Is it going to be just like it was before? I suspect not. But what does that mean? Are we open to seeing God do new things? One thing I do know is that when God moves, it's like Aslan moving into Narnia. He's melting hard hearts. He's taking away our idols, stripping us of those things we depended on more than him. And he's revealing himself to us in new ways. So are our eyes open to that? And are we willing to hear from him? Are we listening? Or do we think the old ways are better? So that's one response. The old way is better. Another common response, I think, for us is, well, okay, things may be changing, but as long as they are, let's do it my way. (laughs) Verse 17, it says this, but when they urged him, okay, these are the prophets now, they urged him, urged Elisha until he was ashamed and said, send. They sent, therefore, 50 men. They searched three days but didn't find Elijah. They returned to him when he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, Didn't I say to you, don't go? (laughs) That word for urge, they urged him to let them go, is a word that means to pressure someone to do what they don't want to do. So they just kept bugging him and bugging him, and it's a continuous kind of thing until finally... He gave in because of the peer pressure, the shame he felt in that community as they shamed him and said, no, you know, who knows what they said. But I think that's often a way we respond when we feel out of control. When life's getting disrupted is we want to find a way to control it and then, and then we begin shaming those who look at life differently. Hasn't that happened a lot over the last nine months? Especially on social media, there's this sense that I feel out of control. Therefore, if I shame you, maybe I'll feel better about myself. And that can help with my insecurities somehow. And it's so easy to do through social media, but I think it's so dangerous. And that's what they're doing. They're shaming Elisha until he'll give in. Another way I think we try to do it our way, try to control things when we feel out of control, is through knowledge. And I think that's happened to a lot of us, right? We feel disrupted and suddenly, you know, we have access to so much information on the internet and so we're clicking away, looking at websites, trying to figure out, okay, what's really behind all this? What's causing it? Is there a political explanation? Is there a you know, a racial explanation and whatever, and we're trying to figure out ways to put it in categories so we feel more secure about life because life feels insecure to us. We think we can control it through knowledge. And we end up listening to almost anyone who will give us a sense of control. But when God is on the move and we feel disrupted, again, we, we look for ways to find Control. The early church did that, too. Again, when they, when Gentiles were coming into the church, what did they do? They said, well, okay, if you're going to let Gentiles into the church, God, that's okay. But here's how it has to happen. Here's the rules they have to follow. Here's the things they have to do if they're going to be part of us. You see, we we try to control it so that Um, we feel, again, more secure. It happens a lot in churches like Elijah being replaced by Elisha, you know. A new pastor comes in, the old pastor retires or leaves, and uh, someone else comes in in leadership in a ministry or in a church, and there's often this sense of, um, you know, well, old Pastor Jim never did it that way. (laughs) Why are you doing it that way? You know, we like the old way. Why are you doing it? Or trying to somehow manipulate and control and shame. And, and it happened with Jesus. Jesus shows up, and it's obvious he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, but what ends up happening is that people say, okay, if you're going to be Messiah, that's fine, but we want you to be the kind of Messiah we want, not the kind of Messiah who came to be humble and die for our sins. And I will admit, I've tried to look for ways to control our situation. It feels unsettling, and I've tried a number of these things. And it's, it's our way to, to try to somehow retain control of what's going on. But I've begun to see that being unsettled is exactly where God wants me. He's purposely disrupting the old patterns and the old ways we've done things so that we can begin to move and see things from a different perspective and see him from a different perspective and know him more deeply and more profoundly than we ever could if everything stayed the same. So what is a healthy way to respond then when God is on the move in disruptive ways? If if we're not to respond with the old way is better or... Let's do it my way. <laughs> well, I just s- summarize it this way. Come humbly to God. Come humbly to God. I think that's the way he wants us to come. Verse 19, it talks about the people of Jericho. And Jericho had been a cursed city. Remember when Joshua marched around it and the walls fall down, fell down? And he said, cursed be the man who rebuilds this. And it had been rebuilt, but the man had lost his son's. But it, so it was a cursed city in the past. But notice what happens. The men of the city, Jericho, said to Elisha, Behold, now the situation in this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad. The word there is evil, it's bad. The city is good, but the water is bad, and the land's unfruitful, it's barren, it can't produce anything. He said, bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He went out to the spring of water and threw salt in the spring and said, thus says the Lord, I have purified or healed. The word there is healed. It's a word that uh, talks about physical healing or spiritual healing. I have healed the water. There shall not be from there death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha. That he spoke. So, this cursed city, notice what the people do. They come straight to Elisha and they say, Please, we're in need. They don't question his authority, they don't question who he is. What they do is they come and say, Please, heal us, heal our city, heal our water. And that word for healing is one, again, that you may have heard the ter- term Jehovah Rapha, the name for God that's used in the scriptures. Uh, it's a, Rapha is the word for healing. God is our healer. It's the word that's used in Isaiah 53. By his wounds, we are healed. So it's a powerful word. And what I appreciate is the people of Jericho simply admit their need, their brokenness. We need God to show up here. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of disruption, we need you, God. They came together as a community to seek God's healing. You see, when God is moving and disrupting our lives, he wants us to come to him, not so much to fix our circumstances. Lord, take away this pandemic. Lord, fix this. Lord, change this. But he wants us to come for personal healing to recognize that his purpose is to change us through the disruption. God always loves to respond to that kind of prayer. Lord, change me, heal me, fix me in this. And it takes recognizing the truth of Romans 8:28 and 29, For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's verse 28. But what does verse 29 says? It says that his purpose is that we might be conformed to the image of his son. You see, God's purpose in disruption in all things is to change us into his likeness. And when we know that, and we know that God is working in all the disruption to change me, then we're cooperating with God. I'm struck by the fact that Elisha takes a new bowl, fills it with salt, and throws it in the water, and that heals the water. Now, if you go to Jericho today, and I've been to Jericho, you, you can see the Dead Sea not very far away, and that water is undrinkable, obviously. And why? Because it's too salty. <laughs> and yet here, he uses salt to purify Bad water. Now, why is that? Why salt? Um, Well, I think it's because throughout most of the Old Testament, salt is identified with the salt of the covenant, our relationship with God. It's used in the rituals of establishing a covenant with God, the salt of the covenant. And I think it's a reminder to us of God's constant loving covenant with Israel. That when we come to him for healing, we're relying on his covenant with us, his commitment to us. For us as New Testament believers, our covenant has been fulfilled not so much through salt, but through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And therefore, we have an ongoing covenant relationship with him that we rely on to have relationship with God. So come To Yahweh for healing. Come to his covenant of grace. Come to him in love and obedience. That's what God wants for us during a pandemic, during a disruption, when God is moving in new ways and life is crazy because his love is constant. His covenant of love is always there. So come humbly to God and just seek his will and seek how to respond to him as you depend on him in the midst of the disruption When God moves. In the 1960s and 70s, there was this huge new movement happening, this Jesus movement that came out of the hippie world. And it was disruptive for the church. (laughs) You know, all these crazy people, weirdness, and, and gee, are there drugs associated with it? And people looked at it suspiciously and they wondered about that. What's going on here? But at Peninsula Bible Church in California, where Jeannie and I met, uh, they looked at that and they prayed and the leader said, you know, God's working in this. How can we get on board with what God is doing? So they started an evening service called Body Life. And in the Body Life service, Jeannie and I went there and and you'd see people coming in barefoot and long-haired and tattered and... All kinds of people, all ages, all kinds of people, and it was kind of crazy. We had rockin' music and, you know, just some crazy things. For example, they would pass the offering plate, and they would say, please, you know, if you can contribute, that's great. But if if you're really struggling today and you don't have much money, feel free to take up to $10 out of the offering plate just so you can get through the next few days. And they did all kinds of things like that just because they sensed God was moving in this. And you know what? It wasn't just PBC, but churches elsewhere, especially in Southern California and all that, really ministered to these people. And many of those people are familiar names to you today because they became the leaders of the evangelical church for the next 40 years. It's so wonderful when we realize God is moving and we decide to listen and get on board and be involved in what he is doing. Are we willing to seek God and say, wow, God, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to seek your face and listen and respond to you and say, Lord, what are you doing? Where is the God of Elijah? How are you moving and how can I get on board? Henry Nouwen writes this, The spiritual life is a life in which we wait, actively present to the moment, trusting that new things will happen to us, new things that are far beyond our own imagination, fantasy, or prediction. That, indeed, is a very radical stance toward life in a world preoccupied with control their tendency is always to seek control to seek keeping things the same because we're we're used to that but he said it's a radical stance to say lord you're doing something new may it be to me as you have said there is one more response in this passage that i want to highlight and that is to oppose god's moving <laughs> to fight it And it's in this crazy story, these last few verses, 23 through 25, where you have Elisha traveling and he goes up near Bethel. And these youths come out. It's a huge mob. We don't know how many there were. We know 42 got mauled by bears, but we don't know how many there actually were in the whole mob. He looks back, he curses them in the name of the Lord, and two bears maul 42 of them. Crazy story. It's wild, I get it. Uh, The scholar Robert Alter describes how the early rabbis were so enraged at this story because it just made no sense to them that they thought it just must not be true. Well, let me highlight a couple things here. Remember, Jericho had been cursed by God and yet... Those people were in a place where they were seeking God. Bethel, where these youth come from, was a place where Jacob met with God and he called it the house of God. But later it became the place where Jeroboam put one of the golden calves in the northern kingdom and it was a place of idolatry. It was a place of resistance to God's working. We don't know how old these youths were. that they, they were apparently not very old, but it was a big mob We don't know that any of them died. It doesn't say they did, but 42 were torn by the she-bears. But I think what we have going on here, as weird a story as it is, is a clear confrontation between the idolatry of Bethel, mocking who God is, and the prophet of God working through and God working through this prophet of God. And God in the story clearly shows who's in charge, right? God is. So the question I think it raises for us is this. Do we resist God, God's ways when he's disrupting our world, when he's moving in some new directions, when life feels unsettled? Do we just oppose it and fight it? Do we mock God In our hearts? Or do we just resist his truth because we just don't like it? Do we resist it in ways like saying, Well, I know the Bible says sex outside of marriage is wrong, but you know, it's so natural and everybody's doing it, so I'm going to do it anyway. That's mocking God, ultimately. I know God says I have to forgive, but God, you don't know how badly I've been hurt and I can't forgive. Isn't that a way of mocking God? I know gossip is wrong, but, you know, it just feels so good. <laughs> I mean, we can fill in the blank, right? There's just ways we oppose God, and especially when life's disrupted, we, we, we dig in our heels sometimes. Do we mock him? Do we resist him? by our words or by our unbelief or by our disobedience. Um, in closing, I want to read a passage and then say a few words about it. This is from Adolf Delf, and he says this. We may ask, and just notice how it's such a great description of what we're going through. We may ask why God has sent us into this time. Why he has sent this whirlwind over the earth. Why he keeps us in this chaos where all appears hopeless and dark and why there seems to be no end to this in sight. The answer to this question is perhaps that we were living on earth in an utterly false and counterfeit security. And now God strikes the earth till it resounds. Now he shakes and shatters not to pound us with fear. But to teach us one thing, the Spirit's innermost moving and being moved. In other words, God shakes the world so that we can learn to come to him and look for his moving and depend on it. Adolf Delp wrote that in 1945 from a Nazi prison just before he was executed as his world was being shaken, and yet how contemporary it is, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, Aslan is on the move. (laughs) Nothing that's going on is out of his control. He's disrupting our comfortable worlds. He's doing it, though, to take us deeper with him and to change us more and more into his likeness. So how will we respond to what he's doing? Will we, will we say, ah, the old way's better. I, 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 don't want, I don't want to change. Do we hang on to the past? Or do we try to control it to feel a little more security? Do we oppose it directly? Or do we humbly come to him for healing and deeper covenant relationship with him, trusting that he's got it all in his hands, knowing That God is on the move. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are on the move. You're in control. You are Lord of the universe. You're the King over all. And, and Lord, we, in our finiteness, in our humanity, don't understand everything you're doing, but. Lord, you've chosen not to let us know, but what you have chosen to do is make yourself available to us to trust in. And so may we come to you for healing. May we come to you for life. May we depend on your covenant relationship with us for our security in the midst of an insecure world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.